Well, my name is Derek, and uh, just I know, Michelle, welcome to everybody. But if this is your first time, just want to say a special welcome to you. We are so glad that you are here. And uh, we have something uh, special planned for this morning. It's actually been something that's been in the, in the works for quite a while. And I don't know, you know, if, if, uh, if you can relate to this, but have you ever had a, a time when, like, you had something that you were hoping for and you were anticipating, and it was, like, a long ways off, and you weren't even sure it was going to happen? Like, maybe for some of you, like, I'm a Cincinnati Bengals football fan. Like it's always the Super Bowl, you know, and and uh, you know that that day rarely comes for me. Maybe you're a Redskins fan and you can relate. Um, but um, anyway, that wasn't a, a cut on the Redskins, but I'm just it, maybe you can relate. Just fact. Um, anyway, um, but what's happening or what's about to happen this morning in the service is something that. Um, is actually been on my mind and on my heart for about the last year. And uh, we have someone who's going to be this morning sharing a message with us and sharing part of his story. And uh, he is someone who's been coming to Grace for the past eight years. So he is like one of the old dogs at Grace Community Church. He's even uh, an older dog than me. And... Um, so his name is Carl Little, and when he stands up here in just a second, many of you will be will recognize his face. Uh, many of you have actually been in a community group at some point along the way with him. He's led many a community group here at Grace. He is one of our finest community group leaders that we have. And, um, and you know, for the past year... Um, Carl and I, maybe it's not quite a year, but Carl and I have been a part of a life group at Grace. And life groups aren't something that we talk about all that often, but I'll just tell you what those are. So we have community groups at Grace. Some churches call them small groups or cell groups. They're the a Bible study group where like 7 to 12 people get together and, uh, and talk about the Bible and pray together. Well, we do this thing at Grace. We do community groups at Grace, and that's what those are. But then we do life groups as well. And life groups happen organically. They're not programmed. You can't sign up for one. But when when you get to a point where you know a couple different people at Grace that you actually kind of feel like you can trust a little bit and you can and you respect their opinion, you've gotten to know them. You just organically, you just get together with two to four people and uh, and you just on your own schedule, whatever you get together and you just talk about life and the Bible and come up with your own kind of topics of conversation. And um, so Carl and I have been in a life group with a couple other guys now for uh, for close to a year and. Um, Every week that we've been meeting, um, the same thing hits me. I get the same prompting, and that's I've got to get this guy up here to share some of this, to share some of his insight with with you guys, because he is just so uh, he has such great um, insight into the Bible. And one of my favorite things about Carl is actually that uh, he doesn't pull any punches. So if there's kind of, if, if we're talking about some issue and there's some pat answer or pat response that kind of floats out there, he does not, he never lets that go. He's always questioning and curious and, uh, and, and I just absolutely love uh, many of the things that he has actually taught me over the years. And so um, I just, it's just been I've just been like, I've got to get this guy up here. We've got to find a way to work it in. And we've had series and different things going on, and we just couldn't find a place where we could, we could fit Carl in. And then finally, in the month of August, uh, John was taking some vacation, and my vacation was conflicting. And so I just actually flew in last night from the beach to be here this morning. And rather than having to spend a whole week prepping a sermon instead of laying out on the beach, I thought, this is the perfect week for Carl to speak so I can enjoy my vacation and this gives him an opportunity to come up here and share uh, some of his story and a, and a great message this morning. So what I'm asking of you guys is a big favor. 
Okay, you may not realize it, but as a speaker up here, um, on, you know, maybe once a month when I'm up here, your faces, your encouragement, the way you respond has a big role in the speaker. If the speaker is feeling something from you, the speaker will put more energy out there and will be even more exciting than the speakers like me already are, right? Okay. So, um, so if you could just really give Carl that special Grace Community Church welcome right now, that would be great. Hello. Good morning. morning. Can you hear me? All right. Thank you, Derek, uh, for that very nice and very accurate uh, introduction. (laughs) Appreciate that. And uh, it's already intimidating enough just standing up here, but he's already likened this moment to the Bengals winning the Super Bowl. So (laughs) now now I've got to live up to that. So um, thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, But before I get in, uh, I have a clip that I want to show. So can we kill the lights and uh, start the start the clip? Maybe I should no, be going. No, no. Uh, no, I... <laughs> that's not what I meant. <laughs> um, what I meant was... Um, I, I like you, Mary. <sighs> I like you a lot. <laughs> I want to ask you a question, straight out, flat out, and I want you to give me the honest answer. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say, and we really don't... Hit me with it! Just give it to me straight! I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just, least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! I read you. (laughs) I like this movie because he's so good-hearted, but there is just like this wall of stupidity between Jim Carrey (laughs) and whoever he's trying to talk to. (laughs) But you know, sometimes I think our relationship with God can be very similar. Uh, For most of us, there is this wall or some kind of interference that keeps us from getting on the same wavelength as God. For some, it might be stupidity, uh, but for others, it's greed or self-centeredness. It's something that keeps us from hearing exactly what God is trying to say to us. In Psalm 144, verse 2, David uses several phrases to describe God, and one of the phrases he uses is high tower. Now, I've seen high towers in movies, and I've read about them in books, So I have a good idea of what David is talking about when he describes God this way. But when I think on a practical level about what high towers look like in my life today, I think about phone lines, cell phone towers. They're massive. Uh, But for all their size, uh, we lose the connection sometimes, don't we? So if God is our high tower, if he's the source of our signal, spiritually speaking, how do we get more bars so that we can consistently hear 
uh, what he wants to do in our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's pray. God, uh, we thank you that it is your desire to communicate with each and every one of us. You like nothing more than to be in connection with your people. And God, would you speak to us this morning in a clear way? Amen. So in keeping with the road trip theme uh, that we've had for the last few weeks, I want us to talk about one of the oldest road trips that ever happened. This is before covered wagons and the California gold rush. This road trip actually takes place way back in the book of Exodus, immediately after the Israelites leave Egypt and they cross the Red Sea. Now, most of us know the story. The Israelites are slaves in Egypt and along comes Moses, who God uses to deliver them. The Israelites get to the Red Sea and they watch it split in half and they walk across on dry ground. And once they're safely on the other side, they turn around in time to see the sea swallow up the, the Egyptian army. They're, they're enslavers and they're, they're mortal enemies. The Israelites see this and they go, whoa, God, we believe in you. We trust you and we're your people. So because they witnessed this miraculous deliverance, the Israelites are able to maintain this grateful attitude until they reach the promised land. Right. Well, let's read. Exodus fifteen twenty two through 24 says, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And that is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now, did you catch that in verse 22? It says three days after the miracle at the Red Sea, the people complained. <laughs> now, I don't know if you want to take that as a literal three 24 hour periods or if you want to just take that to represent a short amount of time. But no matter how much time had gone by, apparently the Israelites forgot that uh, water problems are no match for God. <laughs> now, verses 25 and 27 show God's loving reaction. Instead of being angry with them, he turns the bitter water sweet and he gives the Israelites shade beneath 70 palm trees. How about that? OK, so let's read on to the next next passage here. Exodus 16 verses one through three. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The Israelites are complaining again. In fact, this complaint is actually worse than the one before because they distort the truth about their past. If you didn't know the story and you heard an Israelite make this comment, you would think, wow, they had it good in Egypt. They weren't <laughs> slaves at all. They sat around pots of meat and they sat in the lap of luxury and leisure and all they did was eat. But we know better than that. We know that's not how it happened. So read the rest of the chapter for yourself for God's response. You'll see that once again, it's one of love. God sends sweet bread down from heaven like rain. And the Israelites go out every morning and they bend down to the ground and they pick it up. At night, God gives them meat to eat. So surely the Israelites have nothing else to complain about now, right? They have to recognize that God is on their side. Let's read ahead. 
Exodus 17, 1 through 4. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why do you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are ready to stone me. Each time it just keeps escalating. At this point, this is the worst complaint yet because they're ready to stone Moses. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this reaction by the Israelites is absolutely staggering to me. I mean, all three stories are a problem, but this one takes the cake. You know, how did they revolt against God and leadership after everything that they've just witnessed in this short amount of days? I want to let you in on a little secret about me. When I feel like my needs aren't being taken care of and when I'm in the desert of my life and I can't see how things are going to work out, my first reaction is to panic. When the chips are down, I don't trust God. Not like I should. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in church reading Bible stories just like these. And I thought the Israelites were just like Jim Carrey in that movie. They were pretty dumb. (laughs) I thought only the hardest heart or the stupidest mind could react to God's love the way they did. But you know what? As an adult, I don't think I would have done much better. I probably been I probably would have been right in the middle of those people grumbling and complaining and ready to stone Moses. <laughs> um, in my own life, I've been just as quick to forget God's miraculous blessings and fall into negative patterns of complaining. Now, for those who don't know me, I was adopted. My biological mother and father, they were drug addicts and alcoholics. And when I was two years old, my father broke my arm. Now, after he did that, the state of New Jersey, where I lived at the time, took me and my brother and my sister away, and they separated us, and they put us into foster care. I bounced around from foster home to foster home, and when I was five, the fifth foster home that I went to live with was the Little family. I was pretty messed up emotionally, but God brought me to this place and to this family because he knew I needed them to survive. He knew that they were the perfect people to help me heal and give me a chance at a good life. For me, spiritually speaking, that was my Red Sea moment. That is a time in my life that I should always be able to hang my hat on when I'm going through something and I'm not feeling very connected to God. But do I believe that the God who delivered me when I was five is the same God that can deliver me today? No. I'm more likely to say, yeah, God, I know you did that back there and that was really great. But what about this problem in front of me right now? I sound just like the Israelites in Exodus 16, 7, when they ask, is the Lord really with us? You know, God has proven himself over and over to me in my life. And how do I repay him? I thank him for his help. And then I worry about the next thing. I don't rest in his promises and in his deliverance the way he wants me to. Instead, I'm like the Israelites. I have an extremely short memory. So how do we break this nasty pattern of grumbling when we're out in the desert and we're not hearing God with any clarity? What can we do? There are a few blanks on your outline that might be helpful. And the first one that I'd like you to fill out is remember. 
Proverbs 3, verses 1 and 2 say, My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. And Proverbs 7, verses 1 through 3, it's up on the screen. It says, Follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. You know, we're good at remembering things in Washington, D.C., aren't we? D.C. probably has hundreds of memorials. There's the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson. We have Memorial Day. Before ball games start, we sing the national anthem from little leagues and house leagues all the way up to major leagues. Think about that. What's, what's behind that? I'll tell you exactly what it is. We don't want to forget. We want to remember the sacrifices and the contributions that people make. And the same thing with God. When something wonderful happens in your life, memorialize it. Write it down. Remembering what God has done in the past is important for living by faith in the future. So the second fill in the blank is rest. Now I want to take us back to Exodus chapter 16, where God is feeding the Israelites manna. And our verses, I want to read a couple verses from there. Just picking up with 21. Uh, Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And in the heat of the day, the rest melted. However, on the sixth day of the week, everyone gathered enough to have four quarts instead of two. When the leaders reported this to Moses, he told them that the Lord had said, tomorrow is the Sabbath, a sacred day of rest and honor of me. So gather all you want to bake or boil and make sure you save enough for tomorrow. And then skipping down to verse 27. A few of the Israelites did go out to look for some, but there was none. Then the Lord said, Moses, how long will you people keep disobeying my laws and teachings? Remember that I was the one who gave you the Sabbath. That's why on the sixth day, I provided enough bread for two days. Everyone is to stay home and rest on the Sabbath. And so they rested on the Sabbath. See how important the Sabbath is to God? It's so important that God didn't even go out and work to put the food out there. And that's how seriously God takes rest. A couple of months ago, I went home to New Jersey to spend some time with my family. Now, when I'm here in Virginia and it's seven o'clock at night, I'm still going. I'm catching my second wind and I'm just racing off to the next thing. But when I was in New Jersey, I felt exhausted. So I laid down and when I got up, it was after nine o'clock the next morning. I slept like a log. Now, I didn't fly to the Bahamas or some exotic location. It was just a few hours drive. But just getting out of my normal routine helped me realize how tired I really was. And you know what else? When I was with my family, there was no judgment. There was no performance-based standard that I had to live up to. I could just be me. And that sure helped take a load off, too. In D.C., we're so stressed. We're so overworked. We're so overloaded. We feel guilty if we take a minute for ourselves. I'm not saying not to work hard because the Bible has lots to say about the value of hard work. But there needs to be a balance. So go see that movie or check out that new restaurant or sit on the couch and read the book that you've been meaning to get to. Sometimes it's not even a matter of bars. It's our battery. So take time to to recharge because it has amazing benefits. The next fill in the blank uh, on the bulletin is report. Now, there's a story in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. 
I'm not going to read it now. Um, you can go ahead and read it later. But basically, it's a story about Jesus performing an exorcism. And he arrives in this certain town. And there's a man there who's been causing problems for the townsfolk. So Jesus, you know, heals this man of the demon. And this guy is so excited. and He's so grateful for what God did for him that he's ready to follow Jesus. But instead, Jesus says to him, no, you stay here and you tell the people what God has done for you. I mean, can you imagine Jesus refusing somebody who wants to follow him? But Jesus felt so strongly that it was this guy's job to report all the good things that God was doing. You know, there's a TV commercial for insurance, and maybe you've seen it. And it's basically the idea of taking care of one another and how kindness is contagious. It starts off with somebody doing something nice on the street for a perfect stranger. And I think there's a woman that she saves this guy from getting hit by a car. And anyway... Another person sees this kind act being done, and that third person goes and does something nice for somebody else. And somebody sees that, and on and on it goes. That's how reporting works. I know when somebody tells me about the good things happening in their life, I get excited. It motivates me to get things done in my life, and that makes me feel pretty good. So if I'm excited and I'm feeling good, how do you think I'm going to treat the next person I see in line or the next person I meet at the metro station? Or the next customer. When you tell somebody about the good things happening in your life, it gives them a jolt of positivity and it ripples out just like that. So like in the commercial, we don't always know the positive impact we're having on other people, but it still happens. So let's spur one another toward positivity by reporting the good things that God is doing for us. And the final fill in the blank is be resilient. Now, anytime somebody tells me that I can't do something, I try to prove them wrong. I love to play basketball. I love to compete. I hate to lose. But as tough as I can be in sports, sometimes I can be a complete spiritual wimp. So like I said before, whenever I feel like I've lost my connection to God, I start to panic. You know, doubt creeps into my mind. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the battle to trust God or not to trust God is actually in my head. 2 Corinthians 10.5, and it's at the bottom of our outline, it tells us that we should take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Now, notice it doesn't say that negative thoughts won't come, because they will. But when they do pop up, we're supposed to control them. If any of you have ever flown to another country, then you're familiar with customs. Now, customs decides what you can take into a country and what you can't. Did you know each of our minds is like a tiny nation with its own customs agent? So when negative thoughts try entering our minds to discourage us and to tell us that God isn't there, we do what 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to do, and we capture those negative thoughts and we kick them out. We decide which thoughts we're going to admit and which thoughts we're going to reject. And if we meet these thoughts where they first start in our minds, then we stand a better chance of stopping them before they reach our hearts. And we maintain a stronger connection with God. So in a nutshell, our signal strength, the number of bars that we have, is an indication of how much we're trusting God in that moment. When our signal is low, it means our ability to trust God to deliver us is low. And when we're high on bars, our faith and our trust is high. So maybe you're here today, and you're in a barren, desolate place in your life, and you're wondering, like the Israelites did, is God really with me? If the Bible teaches us anything, it's that total trust and obedience are very rare, even in the most godly people. 
But just as God showed up in the desert for the Israelites with their deliverance, he'll show up in your life too. Now, it's no question that the desert is a tough place. But as we see here in the scriptures that we just read, it's also a place of opportunity. God can and he will find us there. I hope the points that we just talked about will help you to believe that. Let's pray. God, many of us are just like the Israelites, instinctively lapsing into patterns of griping and complaining when things don't come as fast as we like them to. We live in a world where TV and media tell us that we have the right to have whatever we want when we want it. And that makes it even harder to wait patiently on you. God, we're sorry for not trusting you the way you want us to. Help us to do better. We desperately want a stronger connection to you. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you, brother. Good work. Appreciate it.